joining me today on the YPT podcast, we have one of our trustees, Roz Holness. Roz, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. It's a big pleasure, Peter. Lovely, lovely to be here. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, tell me, Roz, how did you first get involved with YPTE? Originally, it was through my father. My father was a, a broadcaster, which some of the older listeners may remember. His name was Bob Holness, and he uh, was a BBC man, really, but became more famous in households through a quiz show he did, which was for children called Blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of him doing Blockbusters, which was aimed at the sort of A-level group, but it was watched by families of all ages as a result of that, he was asked to become involved in, in a fair number of children's charities and Yipti was one of his favourite. And as his daughter, and um, I helped look after him latterly, uh, his career, um, I was quite often invited along to various functions that the charities held. And that's how I became involved. I was invited along um, in the old days. There, were, there was, as you will remember, um, a competition where we ended up having lunch at the Dorchester, which was fantastic. But I mm-hmm. just said um, at that point, I can't just come along and have lunch. Please let me help in some way. And so I dipped my toe into the wonderful world of Yupti by just uh, joining um, joining some wonderful twin, twins, the Lumsden twins, Emma and Katie, who, who did the meet and greet of the celebrities and put everyone at ease in a wonderful way. And so I shadowed them and just became more and more involved in talking to people and listening to, to the stories of what was going on with, with the environment. And um, I was hooked. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it, it's something that's gone back a long way, hasn't it, really? Because that's, that's we're looking about the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s, yes. I would have yes. thought. And yeah, because I remember watching blockbusters myself um when i was uh, yeah doing a levels and then at university as well i remember watching it then and yeah. uh, you know that your dad must have got very tired of being um asked for a pee uh, which was i'll one have of those a pee please bob yeah, yeah. and then it then it, then it then it turned the into uh, yeah. i'll have you please bob and that oh, right, was well, a bit harder one. to get out of but <laughs> there were all all sorts of um all sorts of, of, of variations on that theme but it ran for 11 years. So it was a really, really popular show right across the board. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, it was it was it changed his life, really. But no, he was he was fairly good. He was always jovial when people yelled it across the street or whatever. He, he didn't. Get, <laughs> I think he, he understood um, that it went with the territory. Really, I, think, I was going to say it's job. one of those one of those things, isn't it? With yeah. the success comes yeah. You know, yeah. people catchphrase. wanting to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And is it an urban myth or was he actually the first ever James Bond? Ah, no, 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 no. That's not the urban myth. The urban myth was he played saxophone on Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street. That was the urban myth. But no, in in 19... Now, when was it? 19... In the late 50s, he and my mother were in South Africa, which is actually where my sister and I were also uh, born. And he was a radio DJ, but he also did uh, theatre because he was an actor, a jobbing actor. And he was asked to play James Bond in this unheard of uh, uh, play called Moonraker. And he did it. And later on, they went back to the 
the James Bond Foundation because it was really popular and said, can we do another one? And they said, um, some fellow called Broccoli has just asked if he could try and make a film out of it. But if it doesn't work, then yes, by all means, you can, you can come back and do another one. And that was history. But yes, he was the first ever James Bond. I think it's down in some archives as being the second because there was another one before, but I talked to somebody from the James Bond um, archive and they said, no, 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 no. The other one was uh, an American guy who did a character called Jimmy Bond who was actually a CIA agent. So right. Bob's was the first official James Bond. Brilliant. Yes, yeah, on the first... South African radio. So it was radio, not film, but he was the first ever. Yeah. And actually I found the script. Oh, so wow. I got the script where he got paid sort of, you know, two and sixpence or something. <laughs> um, yes, no, it's, it's, that was a genuine claim to fame. Amazing. Mm. But not the saxophone thing. That didn't happen. No, no, not the saxophone. No. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> no, I think it's, well, it's it's a nice it's a nice claim to have, isn't it? I think um, you it's know, wonderful. First yeah. ever 007. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so having done all of this and being involved for a while, when did you think about becoming a trustee? Sadly, Bob um, became unwell around the year two thousand. He had a massive stroke, and they found that he'd had about a hundred minor strokes before that that nobody had actually noted. Um, and leading on from that, they couldn't stop the strokes and that led to vascular dementia. And as that increased and as that started happening, I started taking on, I was working for him full time then as his PA manager. And I started uh, taking on more responsibility and helping him with his various uh, uh, functions that, that he needed to go to and with the charities um, and the work involved around that. Um, I had a daughter in uh, 1998 um, and at some point in 2013, I think I was invited along to um, a function with the UPTE, I think at the House of Commons and a couple of the trustees who'd been stalwart trustees for a number of years uh, pulled me aside and said, would you agree to becoming a trustee? Bob had actually died the year before. Um, right. so yeah. there was a gap and, uh, and I said, I'd be delighted to, it was felt like an honor, a, a real honor, you know, to be able to take, to take his place within the charity. And it was, it's such a wonderful charity, but also having a, a daughter of my own, um, it was becoming a lot more relevant, really the state the world was in and what we could do to make give, make it the best possible place uh for for future generations and and yepti ticks all those boxes you know um so it felt like the right thing to do and it was the right time and yes i jumped in with both feet and, and haven't regretted it for a day marvelous no that's that's fantastic i mean your support is so massively appreciated and you know i know it's been there for for decades but since 2013 i think as a as a trustee as well um yeah. and yeah i mean it's it i i am so appreciative to all of the trustees for the support that they provide the organization because it does make a huge amount of difference um to what we're able to achieve uh, and without the trustees we can't exist so you know it's it's a really important function that the trustees play in terms of you know 
being involved with the charity. And are there any aspects of being a trustee of YPT that you particularly enjoy? I really do enjoy, and thank you for that, Peter. Um, I really do, do enjoy the fact that it's, it's, it's like a family. Mm-hmm. It's like a family. The other trustees are fabulous. Um, and although we've missed actually getting together for face-to-face meetings over the last couple of years, uh, we've, we've maintained contact through Zoom. But the energy and the optimism that's brought to those board meetings is fantastic. And seeing the charity grow from strength to strength, you know, as we all know, it's an incredible struggle to find the funds to keep such uh, a a small charity going. You know, there are times when there are two people in the office, times when there were three. But either way, it's an awful lot of work for such a small and and um, and we reach so so wide uh, especially with the website which is extraordinary you know i mean yeah, how yeah. worldwide mm-hmm. um and the talks when we go into schools when you go into schools the amount of stuff that you undertake on your own um it, it's so gratifying so i really 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 enjoy the other trustees and in the old days uh pre-COVID when we had our uh, Better Energy Schools uh, competition and we used to go to London Zoo once a year and meet up with our presidents and and we can't forget them either. I mean, the trustees do what they can and willingly do it, but we have the most phenomenal presidents, starting with Dermot O'Leary. He jumped on board in the very early days, Um, but people like Naomi Wilkinson, Kel Spellman, Steve Backshall, they, you know, they are fantastic hands on and to see them and to see them specifically at the zoo, although I know a lot of them work tirelessly for us throughout the year, but also at those uh, zoo events where, where uh, the children would do their projects, there would be a massive numbers of schools submitting projects, they'd be whittled down to five then they would be invited to the zoo for the day and they would meet some of their television heroes or authors or and then they would they would show us their projects and i don't think one year went by where i wasn't in tears looking at these tiny little tots who cared so passionately and i think that's what i enjoyed most knowing that those children cared enough to then take back what they had learned um, through the dedication of their teachers Mm -hmm. and from looking at our website and from from the knowledge that they'd attained in in that way and they were taking all of that back to their parents and they were teaching their parents uh, in in the most remarkable way so I think that's what I really enjoy about being a trustee I think uh, the other trustees, the the dedication that you see, but the passion that these from from really really young, you know, four, yeah. five, six year olds, just <laughs> extraordinary. They blow your socks off, don't they? Yeah, there are some amazing young people out there, and they're doing more and more now. I mean, we we have our young trustees, which is a whole new thing as well, and that's that. I mean, that really started in about 2013, 2014. Yes, um, and that again is something that's that's really growing now into something that's that's really quite special um and the the caliber of the young trustees is amazing yeah, yeah. Um, so just just to fill in if people d- don't know that the, the young trustee at some point 
we older trustees, especially when <laughs> social media, I think, was becoming so relevant. Yeah. Um, I started asking my own daughter. I know various people were asking their children. Um, but we decided that actually it would be a wonderful thing to, as we were a children's charity, it would be amazing to find, give younger people a voice at our meetings. And so, yeah, we, we, we reached out to a number of schools and said, is there anyone interested? And little by little, we've had young trustees coming who help us with social media, who give us their points of view, who keep us from becoming sort of old and crusty. You know, they, they keep us on our toes and, and, and we have to answer to them as, as well as the younger children who are getting free lesson plans from our website and, and all of that. Yeah, so the yeah. young trustees are, yes, they, they are really coming into their own. I think, yeah, I think. Abs absolutely. In the last few years in particular, when they've, they've started just coming out spontaneously as well yes. and asking to become a yes. young trustee, yes. where it's not that we've approached a school or something, yeah. they're just, they're coming because they found YPTE and they think, hey, this is something I could do. And exactly. And the word is spreading. And I think the yeah, icing yeah. on the cake recently was when, when Dermot and, and <laughs> I was going to call him Mr. Attenborough. That's a bit, bit <laughs> archaic, isn't it? <laughs> um, they were invited to the Earthshot Awards, which yeah, was yeah. a phenomenal occasion. And it was, it, it was great. Occasion. Yeah to yeah. see Sir David Attenborough up on that stage um, and, and, and to hear about those incredible projects. You were there, weren't you? you I was, yeah. Here. It was yeah. Um, amazing. I mean, I, I think Dermot arranged the invitation for, for me and five of, of our young trustees, yeah. some current young trustees and some former young trustees um, to come along to the, uh, the event. And, yeah, it was amazing to watch the filming, to see all the fantastic projects that are going on as well. I mean, if, if you look at the Earthshot Prize and the wider range of projects because of course they only showed the finalists yes. and you know the, the winners on the show but yes. um they had a, a set of programs that went through what all of the other entrants had done as well they the 15 shortlisted projects they were all absolutely amazing you know really really brilliant projects brilliant ideas and such a diversity of entries as well from you know a 14 year old girl in india who created a, a solar powered ironing cart through to the city of milan redistributing yes. food yes. that would otherwise be thrown away um to yes. people who needed it um extraordinary and, you know. and and exactly what we should all be looking at because yeah. we hear so much doom and gloom and there are reasons to be incredibly worried but you've got to believe there is a way forward. You've got to believe. And when you see projects like that, I thought the whole thing was, was just inspired. Yeah. And yeah, yeah very, very lucky that Yupti were invited to be there. Well, and, and yeah, I was, was I mean, there was a hundred people in the audience and we were six of them. It was just <laughs> incredible, Fantastic. really. But, Fantastic. Uh, so there we go. Yeah. Um, so how long have you personally been interested in the environment, do you think? Um. I think forever, really. I think forever in the way that I was born in Durban in South Africa when my parents were actors out there. Um, I could swim before I could walk. Um, we grew up, you know, with the beach as our playground. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't an easy life. And in 1962, when I was four, my, my parents made the decision to come back. They didn't like the politics. The whole apartheid oh, yeah. thing was, was mm -hmm. shocking. 
But for those first few years, you know, I was I was picking pawpaws off the tree and, and I don't think I ever wanted to put shoes on. So I got very, very involved in I just nature was in my soul and this and particularly the, the sea. Um, and then as I was growing up, I don't know, I, I've always been a charity shop girl in terms of clothes. I hated I, I was a plump teenager and I hated all those changing rooms and all of that. So I, I'd go down to the local war on want and, and, um, and buy clothes from there. So I've been into that whole recycling clothes thing for a long, long time. But I would also just, if I saw litter in the street, it just was always that thing of pick it up, put it in the bin. Um, my parents were avid gardeners. We were lucky enough to have a garden in Middlesex where we grew up. Um, my father wasn't exactly a twitcher, but he was a bird lover. And so we would get jays coming into the garden and magpies and you know foxes. And, and, and we were encouraged to have, we had cats. I had a tortoise called Fred. Um, we'd go riding when we visited my grandparents. And, and just nature was, was, was just always, we always preferred to be outside playing cowboys and Indians. And, and I think as, when you love nature that much and when you love the environment um, and then you start to see that there are threats to it, I think it's just kind of inbred in a way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So um, probably I, I think you've answered this already, but it doesn't sound like there was actually a kind of a defining moment when you realised that taking care of the planet was important. It was just kind of something that you'd always thought about and i think it, it was that kind of no I, d I don't remember a light bulb moment but i do remember watching those programs the early nature documentaries right, with our yeah, family yeah and uh, you know having been on safari when i was 18 months old and, <laughs> and and seeing these rare exotic animals and then and then starting to hear about extinction and and no there wasn't a light bulb moment it was just always always kind of there really the love of nature and the love of the world and and planet earth and then just starting to to feel that there were things that weren't right mm. yeah that weren't right that needed addressing yeah and i think that's what we we try and do all the time is you know with young people uh to try and enable them to see the things that kind of aren't being done the best way at the moment and what they can do to make it better for the future um, yeah. and I think that's a really important part of, of what YPTE does so have you made any changes in your own life to I just uh, I just your... will go back actually I do remember something that was a light bulb moment oh, and right, that okay. was I had a great aunt Beryl who lived in Grenada in the West Indies for over 60 years uh, she was a, a teacher and a headmistress out there and from the age of 18, I used to go out there pretty much every year. And it was total paradise. For me, it was like being back in, 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 in Africa. You know, it was that whole incredible freedom and beauty. And I remember the first time I went there when suddenly change was happening. And instead of the brown paper bags in the supermarket, there were blue plastic bags. And I remember yeah. driving my little mini moke around the island and suddenly on one of the holiday trips, just realizing that there were blue plastic bags littering the beaches, on, on the hillside, stuck in trees, and suddenly realizing that 
this pollution was coming on into paradise. Mm. And also I did a lot of snorkeling there. And I remember over a 10 year period, suddenly realizing the level of beautiful fish that I used to see weren't there. And the coral was dying. Mm. And I think that was, that was probably in my late teens, early twenties, um, right through to my late twenties, in fact. And that was heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking the fact that uh modern life was suddenly intruding into into paradise Um, yeah yeah when you when you see a a habitat or an environment that you've appreciated and enjoyed for so long seeing that change and it was devastating over quite a short period of time seeing that transformation yeah it yeah it really is a kind of a wake up isn't it Um, it really was and 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 then of course you know in the early days yes i i did things like bags for life in the early days and had some of those bags for five six seven years you know Mm -hmm. because you would just use those and now i can't remember the last time i bought a plastic bag i i i think what i do is is the small steps you know the 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 washing clothes at lower temperatures uh recycling if i'm somewhere and i see litter i i pick it up um I've recently, I mean, I only bought a diesel car because the government at that point was telling us all that diesel actually was greener than petrol. Yeah, of course. But where I live in Battersea, ULES um, has come in. And so I've recently uh, exchanged that car. Um, but, but it's really hard. You know, I, I can't afford a hybrid. Um, mm-hmm. Where we live, we're really not decked out for electric. We really aren't. We haven't got lampposts with with uh, the the means to 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 charge your car, and I'm too stressy a person. I mean, the idea of actually going on a trip and then having to plan in going off to that supermarket and, or that lay by to charge your car. I think I think the idea is a good one. I'm still not sure about you know lithium batteries in in the cars and the the landfill caused by that i do feel increasingly we're being told that it's it's up to us to make the changes and yet we are in a country that's not prepared to support those changes and it's becoming a little bit um if you've got the money to do it you can do it and you can feel proud of yourself but actually for an awful lot of people uh if, if they don't have a money for a hybrid, they can't do it. And this whole thing about boilers being replaced and, and it's not being thought through. And actually, I do think that big business has a lot more to answer for than. So I think all we can do in, in short is, is what we fer- personally can do and we do our best. But um, I do get rather worried that the way the finger keeps getting pointed at households yeah it's always you know you, you can do your your little bit and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that um but actually i mean we've got cop 26 just starting at the moment mm. and it's really the time i hope for those big scale government level government-led changes to yes. actually be put into operation um the agreements need to be made and the big steps need to be taken. And it shouldn't be down to the individual. You know, the individual can't make those big steps, quite frankly. The, the big decisions have to be made at a higher level. 
and yeah. governments just have to step up and and yeah. do what a large majority i think of their people would actually like them to do um and they just have to you know have the confidence and the courage to make big decisions that are actually going to be transformative um because tinkering away at the edges isn't enough anymore um it has to be much broader sort of change that comes about in order to make a difference i think at this point um, i think we I, I agree i think when we started uh get, becoming enthusiastic and uh, about it i think it was a really good idea and I, st I still think it is a good idea to encourage people to recycle but when you find out that that your recycling <laughs> is ending up in the philippines you know yeah and, yeah that, that that whole process that Margaret Thatcher Margaret Thatcher bought bought into being of of paying smaller countries huge amounts of money to take our rubbish away is not actually solving the problem at all. It's just no. it, it's it moves it's, it somewhere it's else. Atrocious. But... <laughs> it's atrocious, I think. Yeah. So yes, let's hope that that cop yeah. will do something. But um, it, it really needs massive changes, and people are. are are more interested in making money really but time is running out yeah i think you know the the, the the number of protesters the number of activists out there is growing in a very very big way um and it is going to be to some extent it is going to be down to people power to make the change but not yeah. not necessarily through making the little changes to their lives although those are important but it's about making those in power actually listen um and I think if there are enough people out there doing that, um, then that is maybe what will sway things. And, you know, we're seeing tens of thousands of people in Glasgow already um, on the streets making their voices heard and, you know, young people amongst them as well. And I think young people amongst them. But what I find fascinating as well, when you look at people who are gluing themselves to the M25, is the number of much older people. Yeah, yeah. Who aren't just, you know, what what we used to be accused of being, you know, tree huggers or whatever. They're not just um, young radicals, but it's right across the spectrum now. And mm. you've got people who know that our generation have really messed it up for the next generation. And before it's too late are actually saying, right, I will take take part in this march because I know we we've gone wrong here and we it's time to, it's time to be listened to and it yeah it's it's that that wave is actually very encouraging yeah, very encouraging yeah. and when you so. listen with the young people as you said when you listen to the to, to Greta Thunberg talking to Andrew Marr last Sunday extraordinary her mm. brain is extraordinary and her vision is extraordinary and she was so sort of vilified when she first came on the scene by an awful lot of people who just said, oh, you know, she should just go back to school and shut up and leave it to the experts. But actually she's more of an expert than an awful <laughs> lot of them. Yeah, yeah. And yet she hasn't been invited to talk at COP. She has, you know, she's she's there, but she hasn't been invited. Yeah, I found anything. that a bit, a bit strange, to be honest. I um, think I, I thought... there's a few things that are a bit strange. Well... <laughs> but, I mean, we've got to stay positive, haven't we, and just hope that... The, the, the fact it's a high profile event will actually get the message across to some people who who so far have have been a bit deaf to the whole thing yeah actively resistant you might say to the, yes. <laughs> the whole thing at the moment way of putting it. yes um so yeah i mean let's hope and what what do you think then is the biggest environmental challenge that's facing young people today 
<laughs> I think it's us. I think it's the older <laughs> people. I really yeah. do. I, I think I think I think they have just got to keep the faith. I think it's negativity and it's 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 the overwhelming the whole overwhelming nature of it. You know, mm. we are being told it's too late, the water levels are rising, this can't happen. It's trying to find a path through all this negativity and through the older generation's abhorrent behavior, really, for the last few decades. Um, they've got to keep the faith. They've got to really believe that they can make a difference. They've got to stay positive in the face of doom and, and gloom and misfortune. And, and they've got to make their voices heard, which mm. I think they increasingly are. Um, but, it, you know, we've caused this problem for them. And, and I don't think there's one thing. I mean, yes, global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, is, is a real problem. Deforestation is a real problem. Uh, pollution is a real problem. But overall, it's, it, it is, it's that. It, we are the biggest environmental challenge. Our, our history, our past behavior um, and, and they've just got to really believe that they can make the difference that's needed and, mm. and, and uh, convince us that we can still be a part of that movement. You know, it needs everybody, doesn't it? Everybody. It, yeah, it really does. And I mean, one of the things that I talk to older young people now about the, you know, the teenagers is about the sort of changes that we might need to make to the way the world works at the moment in terms of you know capitalist societies and yeah. that motivation to make money and seeing the gdp go up and up every year and how we need to start thinking well maybe no we don't need our economy to grow every year we don't need living standards for people to go up every year but what would be nice is if everyone has a you know a, a nicer standard of living than they've you know, certainly people who are struggling at the moment they could have something better the people who are outrageously rich already don't need to get any richer um mm. you know they could maybe give some of that money back um know. and know. you know just changing that idea that you you know there's there's loads of stuff out there that you want um because you get bombarded with marketing materials telling you that this is the next best brilliant thing that you need to have um because the, the stuff doesn't define you as a person. It's, exactly. it's the way you are as a person that defines exactly. you. Exactly, but it, it, we're almost, there's almost a sort of parallel universe of how everything now is, is social media and mm. everything now is selfies and everything now is about perfection. The, 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 and at the same time, there's a whole school of thought that you don't need that. I mean, I, I think we've... You only have to look at the media and how tight that control is and how few people do control the media. But when I woke up one morning not too long ago to a headline of Christmas may be cancelled because we can't get the plastic toys from China, it's, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, yeah. And that's your chance to actually say, hallelujah, bring it on, because then we can actually get back to the real family meaning of Christmas, family, friends, who cares about the plastic toys from China? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to get too political on this podcast, but it just <laughs> defies belief to me that we're spending so much money on, on 
trying to in- decrease the time it gets from London to Birmingham. Mm. When we've got when we've got food banks everywhere, and yeah. when we we've got people living in in such poverty and 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 sadness and discomfort, and an NHS that's been systematically destroyed. Here we are. I'm saying I don't want to get political, <laughs> but I am. Shut me up. <laughs> so, so moving on. What's your greatest hope, Ros, for the future? <laughs> it's the same thing, really. You know that song. I believe that children are our future. Um, uh, right. They are the greatest. Yeah. The greatest hope. I can't think anything further than that. I mean, again, you could you could pick on one thing, but as far as I'm concerned, it's that the, it's that the young people go from strength to strength. And that we we have more Greta Thunbergs and that we have, you know, more Kel Spellmans, you know, people yeah, who yeah, actually yeah. at every opportunity will stand up for everybody's rights and who will really learn to use their voices. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And do you have a favorite eco hero? And if so, why? I thought long and hard about this because I saw something on television not too long ago about um about bogs and about these extraordinary no, I'm not even going there but there were <laughs> there were a few contenders but by far and away my favorite is uh or was the Scottish barrister Polly Higgins yeah um yeah. who I think was the most underrated of women uh it, it quite quite extraordinary she was leading a quest to make the international crime of ecocide. That's right. Um, A really, so originally I heard that um, the Rome statute, the governing document of the International Crime Court, the ICC, had originally included an atrocity crime of ecocide, but it was dropped at the final drafting stage. So, you know, we've got genocide, we've got war crimes, we've got crimes against humanity and crimes of, of, of aggression. But she felt, and I so strongly believe this, that actually people who are responsible for big e- ecology ca- catastrophe, ecological catastrophes should be made accountable and liable to prosecution. So, you know, if there is an, an oil spill somewhere, then it should be up to the people who, who own the boat, the people who, whose oil it is, to pay for clearing it up. Yeah. You know, whatever crimes there are against nature should be treated in the same way as other crimes against humanity or war crimes. Or, um, sadly, Polly died of, of cancer, aged 50. But yeah, the work right. is going on and actually the movement really gained momentum. And I think we are much closer now uh, to making that a real, a real thing, a real law. And yeah, I think I... wouldn't that be amazing if you were actually to make people accountable for their actions? I think it would, it would make a massive difference. I, I believe ecocide has actually been ratified in one country I think, but i can't remember yes, which one it is no, uh, um, and i should have done my research more but <laughs> but you know it's she she has made it, it it is a complicated crisis but she was making it into a proper workable 
project yeah yeah that no, everyone she, can support a, like amazing. George Monbiot or Caroline Lucas or or Greta Thunberg you know she, she to me the first time I read about her and just read what she was talking about it seemed nonsensical that it isn't a law already and the fact that it was almost made a law and then they they took it out at the last minute yeah how could that have happened I wonder but I um know. yeah it's, it's it's um yeah I mean what what she achieved in getting that prominence for the idea of ecocide was was really quite special I actually had lunch with her um, went to her <gasps> house for lunch um no! yeah oh I'm in, so jealous oof, I don't know about 20 Oh, 2011 2012 something like that I think um, and in fact there's a whole section on the YPT website about ecocide um, and that all stemmed really from you know going and, and meeting Polly having lunch with her and then we were talking about how young people could get an interest in the idea of ecocide as well and you know what it would mean to them and you know which is why the information is now available on our website yes. and we've been in sort of in touch with the ecocide movement ever since um and I yeah it was phenomenal yeah phenomenal. yeah and i think it, it will be if it happens and hopefully it will um it will make an awful lot of difference to the way that large corporations treat the planet in the future yes. um, accountability because yeah exactly it will mean you know suddenly they can't do what they're doing with impunity it will actually cost them yeah. if they cause yeah. problems um yeah. and that i think is going to make a huge huge difference okay so polly higgins that's that's great no, polly higgins great I mean, choice. without a shadow of a doubt yeah you know, she, yeah. she defined ecocide as extensive loss damage to or destruction of ecosystems of a given territory such that the, the peaceful enjoyment by the inhabitants has been or will be severely diminished. Mm. And if you think of so many places where people are just getting on with their daily day, you know, daily lives, yeah, and yeah. then big business just bulldozes its way in and it destroys mm. entire habitats. Yeah, um, I know. It, it's know, tragic. And, it's, it, and, and no consequence because it's all to do with big money. Yeah. Exactly. So fingers crossed, um, you know, she, she did die and that was really sad. But in the 15 years since she gave up becoming a, a barrister to really put her mind to that, she moved mountains and it would be wonderful if we could actually completely um, follow that one through. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, as you say, it is, it's getting there. It's getting better. It's I getting think, yeah, better, the, so. the progress is, is being made. There's still a way to go, but it is getting closer. Um, yeah. And again, that's why I think, you know, public opinion as that becomes more and more um, in favour of protecting the planet, protecting the environment, because more and more people are realising the fact that we can't just carry on with the way it has been. Um, that's also going to push lawyers, hopefully in that direction of, you know, when they're making those big decisions, actually thinking, well, yeah, we, we do need this crime to be on the statute Absolutely. books. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think a lot of life is about accountability. Yeah. Uh, and I think whether it's personal, you know, if you do throw that that burger box out of your car window, you know, somebody else has to pick it up. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. if you leave. If yeah. If, if, if you do something that harms the planet or if you do something that harms somebody else, then I think accountability, responsibility. And I think from 
from a very young age, if, if people are taught to be responsible, mm-hmm. then the world just is, is so much happier a place, really, isn't it? And knowing yeah. when to say sorry. And I think that's what we should all be doing now for the next generation. Say sorry. Do yeah. not be yeah. arrogant enough, you know, you politicians, to just say it's not our fault. You know, when, when actually we say sorry and we move on and we find a better solution. Yeah, yeah. It's all about being able to find those solutions, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Your, your biggest inspiration, and this doesn't have to be a, an environmental question, it's just your biggest inspiration in life. A tough one, again, because there are so many people who we do get inspired by and because of them, our lives do change. I think at the moment, for me, my biggest inspiration is my daughter, is my daughter, Lily, Lily B., um, Lily has the most extraordinary loyal friendship group. She has somehow attracted this friendship group around her that I look at with awe. And I think in this day and age where people are so often, you know, in their rooms and have all these virtual friendships and everything to see an actual friendship group like that, that I just, I'm in, I'm in awe and very jealous. I mean, I have great friends, but but at that age, she's she's just 23. And to actually have those friends who I know she'll have for life is something. Um, she got into the university she wanted to go to and was courageous enough to say at the last minute, I'm actually not going. I don't want to go. I want to start an online magazine. And her father and I just said, okay. And I know if that had been me, that would have been a great idea. But the 23-year-old me would not have carried it through in the way she has. And it's a music magazine, mostly, um, but there's some social comment in there as well. And she's done it. And she's now in her third year of this magazine. And it's going incredibly well. And in fact, she did an interview with Kel Spellman, one of our presidents, which which went really well. And she's always coming up with ideas and she's got the discipline that I lacked at that age. So I find that inspiring. Um, And she's just about to do her first ever live event where she's taking over uh, at a club called the Troubadour, which is in in Earl's Court in London, which is a legendary venue that had uh, the likes of the Stones and Bob Dylan and Hendrix playing there many years ago. And she just decided she wanted to do a live, a live night. And she's got three different performers performing. And she's done that as well. And I just look at, look at, look at Lily and look at some of the young people who are coming up through the ranks now and just think it's so easy to be complacent. It's so easy to just go with the flow, but to actually, um, make decisions, stick by them and follow them through. That's what I find inspiring. People who actually do that um, and at the same time are loving and compassionate and have a lot of fun as well. Yeah, yeah. So in my, in my world, yeah, she's, she's the one. She's the one who inspires me and inspires me to become a better parent, a better person, you know, um, right. very blessed. Wow. 
<laughs> and better give that last bus magazine a bit of a plug as well yes last <laughs> bus magazine so if you look up last bus you don't get very far you get the bus timetable yeah <laughs> but it's lastbusmagazine.com right and, okay uh, there we she's go just hit her 2000th follower on instagram brilliant so she's very happy with that um yeah. and long may it last i just look forward to seeing her future yeah yeah absolutely but of course i mean yeah thinking about young Lily, uh, thinking about young Roz as well. Um, you are. <laughs> I kind of know where this that... is going, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you are the only trustee that YPT has ever had, I believe, who performed on top of the pops. <laughs> I did indeed. I did indeed. I think three times in the end. Um, wow. Yes. Yes. I left drama school, wanted to be a serious actress and ended up in a pop band, as you do, trying to get my equity card. And that pop band was called Toto Coelho. And we ended up with uh, one hit, which was a song called I Eat Cannibals. Yeah, I remember is, it. Yeah, a little bit ridiculous. We all wore bin liners and pranced around on top of the pops <laughs> and various other television shows and then toured a lot of Europe. And um, it was very, it was like a very early version of the Spice Girls, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah would that we had had their level of uh success but it was <laughs> it was one of those things that I just shelved you know after a while you just think because I think for a lot of people my age the 80s were a bit embarrassing when we started to look back um a little bit later but now <laughs> with a lot of water under the bridge I remember when Lily found my single and I was embarrassed and she thought it was very cool. And in fact, she and her glorious friends did a, a, a reshoot of the video of Ike Cannibals oh, wow. where they all dressed up. I'll, <laughs> I'll show it to you one of these days. <laughs> Phenomenal. And, and now it's become, because the 80s is no longer quite as embarrassing as it was. No, it's, it's, it's now a cool kind of iconic now. in its way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I did do some rather mad things. I Yeah. Uh, we won't go into too much detail, but it was a it was a bonkers time. But it was uh, it was different, and um, yeah, very a lot very of different stories to be told. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. and I, I believe I, I I have seen it on YouTube. If you look it up, I eat cannibals. Oh. You can still see <laughs> the video. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's Ros and several others. So it'll be a question of seeing if you can work out which one's which. But which um, w- yeah, yeah, which which which. <laughs> one's sporty toto and which one's posh toto and which because really the blueprint was there but that's another story no, yeah. well. well thanks no. peter <laughs> okay i just had to bring really that one up sorry ability no, no, I, I, I think i already know the answer to this one because i i think i've heard it already um in the background at one point but um your favorite animal and why yeah so what you heard was misty the cat who's yeah. actually getting quite old now and has got to the point where if I talk on the phone to anybody she comes and demands my attention having said that no my answer isn't what you would think Um, okay I I do love Misty but uh and I did love my cat as a child but I I really rack my brains on this one because uh there are a lot of animals I like for different reasons but I think if you're going to actually pin me down to a favorite and I won't be specific in the breed but it would be a bird it would be a bird. And I think uh, when my father was really ill, I used to take him out for walks and we'd sit in the park and we would just look at the birds. And for me, to see a bird in flight 
Mm. is just one of the most extraordinary things, extraordinary things. And I think the it lifts my spirits. It does something to my soul. And that whole, I used to fly a lot in my dreams, but that whole um, just escapism and just taking off with the wind beneath your wings to mm. me is just the most extraordinary thing to watch and to witness and the grace and the elegance, even huge birds, even Birds like herons, birds that you don't think should be able to be that graceful, but they can be graceful. And uh, so, yes, I think at the moment, certainly it might change next week. But for now, when I was thinking about it, the idea of just soaring in the sky. Um, I saw an eagle once in America and I just thought, oh, gosh, that looks so wonderful. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, bird. Well, yeah, on a smaller scale here, we get a lot of buzzards flying over us. And that's always a a lovely thing to see when they've got their wings just spread and they're gliding on the wind and it looks completely effortless. It's fantastic, Um, isn't it? And then you get a little robin who is a loyal little robin who stays, you know, at my parents' house, we had the same robin family coming back year after year and Mm. They just be with you when you're doing the gardening. Well, they, you know, sit on your shovel and just look at you. And the, there's a sort of wisdom that comes from those eyes. Um, yeah. Very different from a lot of other animals. No, I, but yeah, I've got a lot of time for, for bird watching. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And um, hmm, your ideal holiday. Now, of course, in, in recent times, it's become a bit more complicated having an yes. ideal holiday. Yes. Um, but where, where would your ideal holiday be? In the and, old days, and why? It, it, okay, in the old days, I think uh, it would have been Grenada for sure, mm-hmm. because yeah. of that whole the, the, the vibe of the West Indian people and the beaches and everything. So that that I absolutely adore. Um, and various parts of America, especially beaches in America, I that that whole freedom, just not having to wear shoes and to 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 jump about in the waves, I've absolutely loved. Recently, um, I've got to know Cornwall a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot. A few of my family lived in Devon. Uh, my brother and sister both, at some point, lived in in North Devon. So I got to know that, and I had mm-hmm. friends who invited us to to a place in South Devon. But in the last two years, we've been invited to stay with friends in Cornwall, Lily and I, and that has started to really take a huge place in my heart there's something about the ruggedness and something about the energy there um i've never been to a popular destination in cornwall in the in the in the heart of the summer so i don't you know i I haven't had to sort of put up with hundreds of tourists on the beach so it does get busy um, yeah yeah (laughs) but no i'm a at this age i'm i'm a recent convert Cornwall so I'd like to explore that a lot more Um, summer or winter just lovely lovely but I think it it really always is the sea that draws me back Mm. you know I've had lovely holidays I've been lucky I've I've been to Venice and I'm I go to cities sometimes but if it is a proper ideal holiday it would need to be sea sand and yeah it's gonna have a beach involved yeah yeah I mean Cornwall it's somewhere that we go to a lot as a family um and you know we spent us well a week in the summer in Paul Ruin just the other side of the estuary from Foy so in South Cornwall 
um, which was a place we'd not really been to very much before. And the, the coastline there is is very different to North Cornwall, which is where we'd been mostly before. Um, and the sea's very different too. It's it's not those big Atlantic rollers coming in. It's it's a bit calmer because it's the English yeah. Channel. Yeah. Um, but the cliffs, oh my goodness me. Um, Antonio had read this book about, this is my wife, had read this book about um, some people who walked the um southwest coast path coast path and while we were in pull ruin we thought well we'll do a little bit um, as <laughs> she was thinking you know it's something that maybe she'd like to do is to walk the entire length of the coast path uh doing about two or three miles just outside pull ruin made us think oh, actually it's quite hard work there's some really really big ups and downs there yes, yes. <laughs> and, um, and then but, when you get winds and then you yeah, get the yeah. rain and yeah but uh, it's a stunning, stunning place. Um, you know, there's so many beautiful beaches and just the dramatic scenery. And and in North Cornwall, certainly the drama of the sea as yes. well, when it's when it's really sort of rolling in and um, those big waves. It's it's really impressive and beautiful. Well, I'm only just cutting my teeth. So there are going to be a lot of visits and to a lot of different yeah. different points before I settle on my favourite corner of Cornwall. But at the moment, we 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 were in Flushing, which is um, just across from Falmouth, and oh, it was right, yeah. just close to St Moors, mm-hmm. close mm. to St Moors, and oh my goodness, absolutely beautiful, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Feel yeah. very blessed to have discovered that. So bring yeah. it on, you know. Well, you know, one of the great things about the UK is that we actually have some amazing places to to visit, pretty yeah. much on our doorstep. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have to travel far. Um, don't necessarily get the weather, um, but in terms of the scenery, uh, you know. definitely get that. Yes, and and, um, and yeah, the year before last was amazing weather. This year mm. wasn't as good, but uh, no, oh, we're lucky, we're blessed. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Well, Ros, it's been really lovely to, to talk to you this morning, um, thank you. and um, you know, thank you so much again for all the all the things that you do for. YPTE. Oh, it's um, only a little bit, Peter, honestly, but but it's a, it's a great team um, and you're a great head of our team and uh, long may it last, honestly, and to, and to see what the children present us with year after year after year in terms of their ideas and their projects. And, and I think we've got to really big up the, the, the YPTE website as well to anybody who has children or knows of children who have the slightest interest in Mother Earth and anybody who knows teachers who are pushed beyond their limits, who who can find free lesson plans um, and inspiration, then it's a really, really good website um, to look at. So yeah, I think inspiration is what we're all about. It's what we try yeah. and do. It's, yeah. it's about sparking that interest uh, or for a teacher, giving them the tools that they might need in order to get that message across to more and more young people. Um, and that's the, the whole thing about what we try and do. Um, yeah. It's you know, the more young people who take an interest, who gain that inspiration, who get that love of the natural world, uh, the more chance there is for our future that the world will end up being a better place than it is at the moment. Um, and thank you for dedicating your life to it. Cause honestly, <laughs> your family it's been a while yeah i know i know your family moves you to to the to the cause most wow. of the time and then they we bring them on board as well so it's a it's a wonderful little wood effort and uh, 
Um, yeah, no, the whole Yupchi family is 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 fantastic. And yeah, I'm it very, does. It does feel privileged. like a family. Yeah. And in fact, I was thinking about this earlier when you were mentioning about, you know, the, the, the fact that it is it has that family feel. I mean, just thinking about one of our trustees, Chris, who I first met when he was eight years old and he came on one of our environmental holidays. Um, back in Goodness knows when sometime in the 1990s that must have been. And now yeah. he's a trustee. I mean, yep. that's a that's a real kind of a follow through if you like and Absolutely. I mean he was he came on a summer holiday with us probably every year from when he was eight to when he was 18 um with one or other of his sisters um and wonderful. You know, that's one of those wonderful. things that, yeah and now he's keep... giving back you know yeah Chris yeah. Jones big shout out to you that's right absolutely <laughs> <laughs> but as I say Rose thank you so much for um, giving pleasure. up some time to be um, with pleasure. us on the podcast today and um keep doing what you're doing in this episode of the YPT podcast, YPT trustee Ros Holness was in conversation with YPT's director, Peter Littlewood. You can find out more about the Young People's Trust for the Environment by visiting its website, ypte.org.uk. The YPT podcast is produced by the Young People's Trust for the Environment.